It was now two days before the festival of Passover and unleavened bread. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for a way to arrest Jesus. Secretly, and to put him to death. We must not do it during the festival, they said, or the people might riot. And Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon, a man who had suffered from a dreaded skin disease. And while Jesus was eating, a woman came in with an alabaster jar full of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. And some of the people there became angry and said to one another, what was the use of wasting that perfume? It could have been sold for more than 300 silver coins. And the money given to the poor. And they criticised her harshly. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a fine and beautiful thing for me. You will always have poor people with you. And any time you want to, you can help them. But you will not always have me. And she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body to prepare it ahead of time for burial. Now I assure you that whatever the, wherever the gospel is preached all over the world, what she has done will be told in her memory. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went off to the chief priests to all, and in order to betray Jesus to them. And they were pleased to hear what he had to say and pro promised to give him money. So Judas started looking for a good chance to hand Jesus over to them. We're looking at this story of Jesus being anointed in Bethany. And as uh, Robert has also already uh, uh, pointed out, we are uh, in uh, another Markan sandwich. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, we were looking uh, at Mark uh, earlier, earlier chapters of, of Mark, the story of Jairus' daughter. And uh, in the middle of the story of Jairus' daughter, we had this woman who'd been suffering from bleeding for 12 years uh, which made a bit of a sandwich. And again, this morning, we've got another uh, sandwich or uh, butty, as they like to say in, in some parts of the uh, 
in, in the country. You've got the chief priests plotting to arrest Jesus and Ju- Judas going to the chief priests to betray Jesus, which is like the, the bread in the sandwich. And then we've got this story in, in the middle of that uh, bread, Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And that's what we're really going to be uh, concentrating and looking at this morning. So, the first thing I want to uh, say about this story is that it's an example of extravagant love. And extravagant love does not conform to the crowd. Extravagant love does not conform to the crowd. Most of us, if we're honest, um, we just want to fit in, don't we? Uh, We actually don't want to stand out. We want to look like everybody else. And uh, we don't like to stand out. We we fit in. We do that in the way that we behave, in the way that we dress, in in the way that we live our lives. Very often, we just want to be uh, part of the crowd. And extravagant love does not conform to the crowd. At the beginning of Mark 14, we read that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. And then later on we read about Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And in this sandwich there's a, a contrast in what's going on on the outskirts of the story of Jesus being anointed and what's going on with this unnamed woman who comes and anoints Jesus. Extravagant love does not conform to the crowd. Tom Wright says this in the middle section, the main story about the woman with the pot of ointment uh, dominates. But we understand its dark meaning, not least when we look to the left and to the right, to the chief priests plotting and then to Judas going off to strike a bargain with them. In Mark's telling, each scene contributes to the sense that the end is near. Jesus knows it. Judas and the priests plot it. The unnamed woman with the perfume intuitively does the right thing and anoints Jesus for it. So, whenever we look at scripture, it's always good to look at the context to see what comes before it and what comes after it. And uh, here we see part of the significance of Jesus' anointing in what's going on around Jesus, in the plotting and the scheming. Uh, they're plotting and scheming for Jesus' death. Uh, this unnamed woman is going to be pre- preparing Jesus by anointing him for his death. We should not miss the fact, Donald English says, that it was a woman and that it, and as this gospel proceeds, it will be women who are increasingly the most faithful and reliable followers of Jesus. Interesting that, isn't it? Last week, uh, we were looking at the faith of the woman uh, who had been uh, bleeding for 12 years. And uh, Donald English points out, you know, the, the place of women within the Gospels. Uh, and, uh, of course, in, in Jesus' time and in the society, uh, uh, the woman's place was, was not just in, in the home, but it was a kind of downtrodden place. And uh, thankfully, we've mentioned before that in our, in our society... There's a much more equality, although in the church we've, we, we still, uh, the church hasn't always been great at, uh, at honouring and, and, and recognising the place of, of women in the, in the church. Uh, but just as the women's faith in, in, in Mark's gospel is seen, 
Uh, in many churches, it's it's the women in the church that but you know do a lot of the hard work, and uh, we uh, we want to uh, recognise and appreciate and honour uh, the women in our church, but women of faith who uh, who acknowledge Jesus and uh, and represent Jesus. And here's a story, an example of that. And uh, Tom Rice again, he says, he says, it's not for nothing in this story, sometimes held up as an example of women getting it right, while all around her men are getting it wrong. And uh, some of you may uh, know that feeling or have had that experience in your homes or in your lives. Extravagant love does not conform to the crowd. I don't know about you, um, but I... I think women do uh, extravagance better than men. Do you know? In, in, in our family, it tends to be me to say, how much is that going to cost? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> how much does that cost? I came across uh, uh, an amusing little story about a, a man returning home from a business trip. He thought he would he'd bring a nice present for his, his wife and uh, he thought he might buy some perfume. And he went into uh, a perfume shop and he asked the cosmetics clerk and she showed him a bottle of perfume costing uh, £100. He said, that's a bit more, 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 a bit more than I was, uh, was wanting to pay, really. And, uh, and so she bought out another bottle that cost £50. He said, that's, that's still a bit more than I was, uh, I was thinking of, of spending. And so she bought out a bottle that cost £25. And he said, well, it's still not quite what I was, I was thinking about. I was... Uh, I'd like something, something a little bit cheaper than that. Something, well, some, to be honest, something really cheap. And the clerk fumbled around on the counter and eventually she found what she was looking for and she handed the man a mirror. And she said, have a look in that. It's a slow burner, that one, you think about it. <laughs> but this woman here uh, was certainly extravagant in demonstrating her love towards Jesus. And uh, that introduces the second thing that I want to say. You'll be seeing that we're concentrating on the seas here. Extravagant love, uh, not only uh, does it not uh, conform to the crowd, it doesn't consider the cost. Extravagant love does not consider the cost. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon Leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. It's funny, isn't it? That, uh, do you notice that this woman uh, came to Jesus uh, and she brought something with her? It's quite unusual, really, because uh, normally we read about people coming to Jesus asking him to do something for them, don't we? That's the normal pattern in Scripture. You know, people come to Jesus... Uh, because they need something, because they want something. We saw that last week when we were looking at the story of Jairus' daughter. Jairus came, you know, pleading and begging that Jesus could do something about the condition of his daughter. The woman who'd been uh, bleeding for 12 years uh, came to Jesus because she wanted to be healed. And so often in the gospel stories, we read about people coming to Jesus with their needs. And, and we said, you know, we said last week, that's great because we do need to recognize when we need help and we don't need to be afraid to be asking for help. But notice here, that this woman brings something to Jesus and actually isn't asking anything of Jesus. And uh, I was trying to think, and I'm, I'm sure you will correct me uh, 
if I'm wrong. But I, I was trying to think of other stories in the gospel where people actually came to Jesus and did something for him or brought something for him. And I was kind of thinking, you know, what what incidents are there? Do we have to go right back to the, the kind of Christmas narratives where the wise men brings their gifts? Uh, or are there other things that maybe encounters that I have not thought of where, where people actually come wanting to do something for Jesus rather than asking Jesus to do something for him, for them. And it makes me think about, you know, how do we come to Jesus? How do we come to Jesus? Uh, sometimes uh, you'll, hardly, you'll find it's very hard to believe this, but it, it's true. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, I didn't get anything out of the service today. Didn't get anything out of the service. Obviously, it's not you that said that, but some people sometimes do say that. You know, oh, there was nothing in it for me. Uh, wasn't my type of thing. Wasn't my type of thing. And uh, of course, some, some, I'm, I'm very polite, and obviously, I don't say it. But sometimes you think, well, did you put anything into it? Did you put anything into it? You see, we live in this uh, consumer society, don't we? Where, uh, you know, we're used to kind of having so much choice. And, and it's great, isn't it? Because there is so much choice, you know. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm, I guess I'm a typical man. If I go into a perfume shop, I'm just kind of, you know, you walk into Debenhams and Boots and it's like, what? You know what I mean? It's just so many perfumes, so much choice. You don't know where to begin. Um, uh, did he put anything into it? Uh, what do we bring? What do we bring? What do we bring? Or do we come expecting to receive something? Uh, the whole idea of, of worship is that we offer something. Uh, you know, we've just taken the offering, but that's not the only part of the service where we are meant to. And of course people do, you know, don't get me wrong, people do uh, bring stuff, you know. Uh, we've had somebody leading the service this morning. We've got the worship group. Uh, the, even the children, how fantastic. Even the children have, have contributed and, and brought something. And this is what church is about. It's about what we uh, bring as as much as it is about what we receive. And uh, this woman, the unnamed woman. It's interesting, isn't it, how many unnamed women there are in the Gospels. Uh, not seemed important enough, although John does... Uh, in his uh, telling of the story, suggests that this might have been Mary, the the, uh, the sister of, of Lazarus. Uh, but Mark doesn't say that. He leaves her as an unnamed woman. Just one verse explaining what she did. Uh, she brought this alabaster jar uh, that was worth a year's wage, and she pours it out on Jesus. How do we come to Jesus? Do we come expecting to receive, or do we come to offer something? A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. She gave what she had. Just as the widow in the temple gave her last penny, the two women's gifts were very different in monetary values but Jesus praised, praised both women for what their generosity cost them. You know, worship should cost us something. Um, it should cost us something. This this woman, it wasn't just a, a monetary cost. You know, she was she was putting her head above the parapet. She was she was taking 
a real risk in, in what she was doing because women weren't supposed to be at the table when the men were sat around eating. They were supposed to be in the kitchen or in, in another room and she enters into this room. And uh, that would be shocking enough that she was going to be uh, uh, and, and coming up to the table. And uh, it's interesting that Jesus accepts this offering of worship. You can imagine everybody around Jesus being aghast, even offended. We'll come on to that. But Jesus uh, is not uncomfortable with this extravagant offering and anointing. Extravagant love does not consider the cost. How much is what some of us want to say whenever whenever we're thinking of doing anything. It's how much is that going to cost? How much is that going to cost? Uh, when was the last time, I wonder, when we were extravagant in our love to Jesus? When was the last time we were extravagant? And then, extravagant love is, is not concerned with criticism. Extravagant love is not concerned with criticism. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. It sounds quite sensible really, if we're being honest, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like a perfume that cost a year's wages just, just wasted pouring it on, on Jesus' head when it could have been used for so much. And there's a kind of familiar ring to that in church life, isn't there? Uh, you really want to spend that much on, on Christmas lights outside the church? <laughs> Sorry, Ben. <laughs> I supported you, mate. I was with you. Uh, you know, but it, there's all sorts of things, isn't there? You, really, you, you know what I mean? We, we, we could use this money for. It's a, it's a familiar ring, isn't it? You know, let's be sensible. Let's not be extravagant. Let's be sensible. Let's be, in fact, in these days, let's face it, you know, um, and this, is, this isn't a joking matter. You know, times are hard. Uh, money is is tough, but you know what I mean. We are living in in, in tough times, and, and many people are experiencing uh, that. So they rebuked her harshly. Uh, Paul Tillich, the theologian, says hers was an example of holy waste. I like that term, holy waste, growing out of the abundance of the heart and uncalculated surrender. The kind of act that is done out of extravagant love and impulsive generosity. Uh, you know, some of us need to learn something about that impulsive generosity, don't we? Uh, where we just give without thinking about the cost. And where we uh, actually do something for Jesus that actually uh, counts and costs and involves a sacrifice. Extravagant love is not concerned with criticism. Of course, the reality is you, you and I are concerned with criticism, aren't we? Uh, we don't like it. Uh, we don't like it when people criticise us. Who, who does? And uh, it's interesting again, isn't it? It is the men that are criticising. It's, it's the men that are criticising and wanting to rebuke this woman for her extravagant act of love. But Jesus says, leave her alone. Said Jesus, why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. 
She has done a beautiful thing to me. Wouldn't it be lovely if, uh, if at the end of our worship service, you know, we heard God in heaven, Jesus saying, you know, they've done a lovely, beautiful thing for me in their act of worship this morning. Jesus isn't embarrassed as the others around him are at this really outlandish, outrageous act. I don't know if you've ever been in, a, I'm sure you have at some stage, you'll have been in a, in a worship service and you, you're kind of embarrassed about somebody else's excitement or uh, enthusiasm. Uh, you know, somebody's getting really carried away in, in the worship, and it's, it's so easy, isn't it, to kind of, you know, think in, in your kind of holier than thou attitude, you know, uh, and, and you want, we want the, the reaction maybe is to try and pull in the reins or to be uh, critical even. Um, Tom Wright says, I who have loved the formal music of my tradition from boyhood know only too well a temptation to look down on other less inhibited styles of music, which sometimes lack a certain polish, but can often add a certain integrity, a wholeness of spirit. Not everyone is called to pour out, pour out expensive ointment over Jesus' head, but if someone is, is, the rest should respect it. Extravagant love is not concerned with criticism. It's so easy to criticise other people because they don't worship like us, isn't it? You know, this is the proper way to worship. Uh, this is the, the way we ought to do it. Uh, and, and you conform to what I like or what I want or what I'm comfortable with. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's challenging to be made uncomfortable by the way that somebody else is behaving because it, it says something about us. Why am I uncomfortable about this? Is it, is it, is, I am uncomfortable because this person seems to want to express more love for Jesus than I want to express. Am I uncomfortable because they seem more enthusiastic than I am? Um, challenging, isn't it really? To think about that. Extravagant love is not concerned with criticism. And then Jesus goes on to explain more. He says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my head, on my body before. And to prepare for my burial. It's interesting, isn't it? Very often in the stories of the gospel, there's more going on than we actually realise at first. There's more going on. Everybody else is thinking, gosh, what a waste of money. And Jesus says, actually, what this woman is doing is preparing. He'd been speaking about his, his, his death. He'd spoken about the fact that he was going, he was going to the cross and the disciples hadn't understood it. They'd even tried to challenge him about it. And this woman seems to have been given this sense to go and do something before Jesus' death. There's more going on here than just expensive perfume. This is about Jesus being anointed before his death. This story is very much about Jesus and about him going to the cross. And of course, that's a sandwich that this story is wrapped up in. The, the Pharisees and, and the teachers of the law are, are, are plotting and, and Judas is helping them. And this woman is anointing Jesus in preparation for what the others are going to do. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
And we say amen to that because that scripture has come true today in your hearing. Because this story is being told as the gospel has been preached in memory of her. And it's like, wow. Um, What Jesus said has actually come to pass. We shouldn't be surprised, but there's a sense in which maybe we are kind of wowed by that. And it makes me think, you know, does that mean when Jesus says that, that what we offer, you know, how many times do we do we do stuff? And we think, oh, nobody's, nobody's noticed that. You know, I've, I've slogged my guts out and nobody's thanked me. Nobody even appreciates it. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? You've been the last person left in church. You're tidying up, everybody else has gone. And you look around and you think, you know, here we are. And does it mean, this is Jesus saying here, that what you do for him will last for eternity? That whenever you offer, make an offering to him, that has far more significance uh, than you actually realise. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Makes you wonder. And, uh, you know, we will be criticised. We will be criticised. Extravagant love, it, it, it is going to, you, you are going to get criticised. Uh, if, if you dare to do something different, if you, if you risk faith, there will always be those around you that are shaking their heads and, and tutting and, and, and kind of frowning and, and wanting to throw cold water on it. That will happen um, in life. And uh, this woman does not appear to be concerned about that because what she does is for Jesus. So extravagant love, it doesn't conform to the crowd. This woman is prepared to stand out from the crowd and to do something different. Extravagant love does not consider the cost. Monetary terms, there was a huge cost, but also... Uh, in the kind of social environment that could have been a cost to, to what she was doing. And of course, extravagant love is not concerned with criticism. 